week two of the Spin It to Win It podcast. And let me tell you, you are not going to want to miss this. Nirvana's Nevermind with Come As You Are, Lithium, and especially Smells Like Teen Spirit. Let's get our takes. Go. Oh, man. It is week two, and he came back. Welcome back, Yanni. How's it going, buddy? Oh, real good. Um, I At the end of last episode, I immediately logged off, um, found out what we were doing this week, got super excited about it, and then loaded that up in my phone, went out in the kitchen, and then made lasagna um, for my partner's birthday, which was last week. So I was like getting lasagna ready for that. And that was super fun, just playing this album, which we will be talking about today. blasting while making super late night lasagna it's a great time great time i must say i've probably listened to this album top to bottom four or five times and i don't think it's changed my opinions overall but i gotta say this uh, for those of you who did not listen to last week's episode go give it a listen um and if you need a refresher we are doing nirvana's nevermind which was their second studio album um i believe uh the album after bleach right so and this one is famous for many reasons uh, but the big one being it probably has like the most recognizable opening track of all time yeah for sure like I think one of the only opening tracks that would match it is what we talked about last week with Welcome yeah. to the Jungle. Honestly, it's like, yeah. It is <laughs> unbelievable. This album's 30 this year. Uh, just turned 30 like a couple weeks ago, in fact. And to this day, I can't think of a more polarizing album for a fan base. Like, this is one of those albums where it's like, all the like hardcore Nirvana fans despise it. And then all the like, we like Nirvana fans really love this album because there's so many hits on it. And I am somewhere in the middle where I enjoy Nirvana's music and I don't hate this album, but it's not their best one. Yeah, I will say, um, I know we've talked about this previously, um just talking about favorite albums and stuff and i had this album as like one of my personal favorites um and you had mentioned you know it's not even their best album and in order to fully prepare for this episode i really wanted to give everything i could a listen and i think i would agree with that in the sense of like i there is a better album um just objectively or like ostensibly better album but i I still think this one's my favorite after listening to all of them um it's got some favorite songs but maybe not the ones that people would typically claim as like their favorites yeah for sure we kind of talked about these already but let's go through the stats and this week i think we should probably look through a track list because again this album, I think a little dissimilar to last week, 
goes through so many peaks and valleys of like high energy, aggressive, angry to low energy, just curtain his guitar, laid back, like songs you'd like smoke a blunt to or like listen at a cigar lounge. Like it is so polarizing on, of an album as well. And I gotta say, uh, first things first, this song or this album's Certified Diamond. 30 million sold worldwide. And it has been on the Billboard charts since its debut. Like in the Billboard Hot 200 or whatever, Hot 200 albums. Like that still can see, see consistent radio play. I think it's still just floating around in the 100 somewhere. It has actually surpassed Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon for the longest tenure on that on that list, which is crazy to think about at this point like dark side of the moon was on there 953 straight weeks and uh this has taken that over which is absurd um that it's still just like consistently in the alternative 100 peaked at number one obviously with i think four songs that charted in the top 20 and according to the Rolling Stone, you've already voiced your disdain for this list. According to the Rolling Stone, number six on the greatest albums of all time. I will disagree with that. I, I think it's probably number 10 on the most influential albums of all time, but I would not put it anywhere near the top of the greatest. And again, personal bias and all that. Um. Other popular artists at the time, similar to last week, um, R.E.M., Guns N' Roses, Metallica's Black Album had just came out, Extremes, Wholehearted was very popular, Firehouse. You had these rock ballads that were like popping off. You had Kicks, you had Winger, you had Warrant and these like really slow ballady songs. And then this came in and punched through everything i mean just like overnight pretty much swept across the nation the seattle sound was born even though bleach had already happened soundgarden had already put out two studio albums at this point or three studio albums people knew of the movement because you know alice in chains and man in the box and was kind of catching on but if it wasn't for this i don't think grunge ever like just explodes like it does and mtv picks up the first single off this album and just runs with it. And I'm pretty sure it was probably the first thing played in MTV Music Hour every hour. Yeah. I think you made a really good point there also just with the whole Rolling Stone thing. Um, talking about influential albums. Because I would definitely say like this album is extremely influential. Like you just said, it just like opened uh it saved so many music careers. Like I, I look yeah. at these, I look at the bands that um, DGC Records still does, which is the record company who was in charge of making this, and Butch Vig, who was the producer. And half of these artists wouldn't exist without Nirvana. I look at Rise Against, and they would have never gotten their popularity. Papa Roach, same thing. AFI, who has a lot of like Nirvana tendencies and obviously Hole, which only got big because of Courtney Love, who we're going to talk about later, I'm sure. This, 
this album really could be like fighting for the top spot of like most influential album of all time. Just like it's not a masterpiece by any stretch, but it is so good at like changing what music was. Yeah. Um, speaking on Butch Vig for a second, I was actually interested in looking into a little bit more of kind of the things that Butch produced and comparing, you know, other albums, kind of like doing like a little comparative thing and like listening to Nevermind. I was trying to do a little bit of analysis between listening to Nevermind, then going back to the other Nirvana albums. And it definitely is just a different sound. Like it's more, like the, I guess the best way, and it's weird I'm talking about something like, you know, very like grunge kind of punky music, but it's more polished in a sense. Like there's a lot more shine put on these tracks that I get. And it's interesting. And I, I saw something where I think Kurt was kind of not super enthused about having this like new fan like a fancier like cleaner production um but the, the way it plays out i think it worked in the end and the well, nice they thing com- about- they completely roll it back within utero like they yeah. take the clean clean cut sound that they got from this album and they completely rolled it off they said they, they basically were like we're not selling out anymore and i personally love the like raw sounds like every time a band produce like puts out their demos i always like want to listen to them more because that's those songs in the purest like purest forms usually i think the one nice thing about at least the way like this album was produced though is that you still get the emotion through the actual playing and the singing and like Kurt's voice, like he still carries a good amount of that emotion. Well, you lose a little bit of the like, this sounds like this was recorded by a bunch of friends in a garage and like that sort of, I guess, authentic feel to it. You still get the message of like what they're trying to convey. Absolutely. And I think again, that one of the things that, people need to realize with this album was just like (laughs) it literally like overnight just like took over the United States and just like you know Nirvana this like band that only a few people have heard of at this point puts out a single and smells like teen spirit and literally just like snap of a fingers MTV catches on and it's everywhere vh1's running the the video they're on letterman they're like doing all this like crazy stuff and it's just i think you know when we look back at it that really started the downfall of the band was like just the overnight hit that they got you know like they always say like fame can change people and just like that that's what happened like it just seems like 
crazy to say because like Kurt and Courtney had some real messed up things going on in their lives. Uh, I read a biography about Kurt Cobain. I guess like she resuscitated him, him seven times <laughs> from like heroin overdoses and like stuff like that. So it's like being in a relationship with something like, like in that moment would just be like so difficult, I would think. Like being in a relationship there and then talk about how dark some of their songs are. And I think this is a good transition to like, let's just break down some lyrics. Um, so, I would do want to know, I guess, like what was your introduction to Nevermind? <laughs> I borrowed it from the library, man. Uh, <laughs> checked out a Nirvana CD and I was like, man, they got a few more of these. Like uh, my mom checked them out for me because like they'll have the 18 an older like parental thing on them mm-hmm. so like, i can't just check it out like i gotta have my mom do it she was like why are you listening to this mom because it's good like <laughs> um so I, I listened to nevermind and as a kid there are two songs on here that i've never understood and it turns out it's those same two songs that i still don't understand uh on here um but yeah that was my first introduction i was probably 12 13 um really like just starting to get a heavier taste for like music my parents were big classic rock nerds and still kind of are and the hardest band i'd ever listened to with my parents was tesla and like guns and roses and stuff and then like here i come like hey mom i would love to check out this afi cd and this nirvana cd I'd played rock band and AFI had a song on there that I really liked. Um, so I checked out December Underground, which my sister wants us to do at some point. And I'm sure 20, 30 episodes down the road we'll do it. Um, and I checked out the Nirvana Greatest Hits or the Nirvana Black cover album, you know, the where it just says Nirvana. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and then, of course, like, you know, you can only have so many CDs out at a time. So I burned those onto my uh, parents' computer to copy songs onto a CD, and I said, "All right, let, let's go back and get some more." So I had a nice little rig there going, where like my parents' media drive was probably four or five hundred songs from like CDs I ripped at the library, you know, just like, <laughs> um, it like, yeah, that was my first thing. Like I, I remember like. I had this boombox my parents just got me and like yeah i'd been playing a bunch of their cds and i finally started getting my own from the library and just like this was totally different just like completely different than anything else i'd ever listened to to this point and obviously it's developed me into this taste now where like grunge and new metal are like my driving force to wake up every day because like i have that playing when i go to bed i have it playing when i wake up just like in my dreams all the time that kind of thing so and I, I, yours was like in a car, right? Like you were driving around to this. Uh, so my first introduction to anything Nirvana was actually Weird Al Yankovic and his lovely single "Smells Like Nirvana." Um, yeah, this was like my eighth grade year, and 
me and my buddy were really big into Weird Al. And this was like right when YouTube was starting out. So like we'd watched all the Weird Al stuff on YouTube. I had uh, downloaded Weird Al music videos to my PSP and would like watch them. (laughs) And like I knew all the words to like a bunch of the Weird Al stuff. And um, that year, um, after listening to Smells Like Nirvana, I was like, oh, like, what is this actual song? And like, listened to it, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Um, that was the summer before my freshman year of high school. I got my first electric guitar that fall. And that was like one of the first riffs I tried to learn was like the intro to Smells Like Teen Spirit because of course it was. That's like one of the first things every kid with an electric guitar tries to play. Um, that year I had like moved to South Carolina um, for the first time and went to this super tiny little like private Christian high school. And uh, we were trying to move to South Carolina full time. That was right around the time of the stock market crash and housing wasn't great. So we ended up having to move back. But instead of me transferring back up for the second half of my freshman year of high school, one of my teachers who also had some students, has, their kids were like students at the high school, um, offered to let me stay with them for like a couple months. So my parents were cool with it. I ended up staying down there and I was down there for my birthday. And that was the year that rock band came out. So I got rock bands for my PS2. And that was like our weekend thing with me and my friends would we just play rock band. Um, I always ended up singing because nobody else wanted to. Um, And in bloom was one of the songs we did the most. Uh, which I always thought was funny that that song was okay, but uh, like the more metal songs were too metal um, because the teacher I was living with was also a pastor and his wife did not like the metal songs. So yeah, that was like, like played in bloom so many times. That was like our go-to song and that ended up moving back up to New Jersey at the end of that of that year and that year for Christmas, I got um, insecticide and nevermind. Like I actually got physical copies of the album and I listened to those so many times through high school. And yeah, the thing you were alluding to um, my senior year, I was in the worship team at church and my post practice routine was getting in the car, putting nevermind in and just playing it all the way home and I would make sure to take the longest way possible home to listen to as much of the album as possible and just like blast it on the back roads. So yeah, like I, there's a lot of sentimental value to this album for me. Um, and you also get a nice little Gany origin story out of it. So <laughs> I think like, that's so funny. Like I, f- I always forget like some of these songs were on rock band. Like looking back on it, it's just like, yeah, and actually listening to some of the other stuff because I was trying to get a feel for um, 
Butch Vig, like you said, producer and trying to get a feel for some of the other things he did. I completely forgot there was a garbage track on Rock Band. Uh, it just like refreshed my mind as soon as I heard it. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. You used, used to do that. I had to sing that one a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and honestly, like, man, I, which Vig, like, this was his career. Like, this sounds horrible, but like, what else do you really have? You know, like, he had, one garbage album that like charted i think but like, he had a couple smashing pumpkins albums i think he did he was like working on obviously foo fighters and green day like, like i don't know man this was uh this was definitely like this was his like career right here basically like i look at I, I like going through everything like helmets betty is a decent album sing the sorrow from afi i really enjoy but like you know soul asylum let's your let your dim shine um when i look at like siamese dream he did that which is one of the best like one of the greatest albums of all time he did gish sonic highways for foo fighters 2014 to wasting light like Nothing has, in my opinion, has like even really gotten close. Yeah, it's hard to compete with an <laughs> album like this. To be fair, oh yeah, like, but it's just it's like yeah, you're looking at everything he did, and like this was his breakout moment too. Like before this, he was doing like Killdozer and um, Feed Time and Laughing Hyenas, and The Fluid, and then Gish, and then, you know, a couple months later, he does Nevermind, and then he does Tad's Eight-Way Santa. And then, like, it's crazy that, like, his next big hit's, like, two years later, The Siamese Dream, and then two years later with Let Your Dim Light Shine, and then two years later, or with three years later with Garbage version 2.0, like he took time off and like took time off from like having these like actually good albums, had these like medium to lower end projects in the middle. And I wonder if like that wasn't by design for him, you know, like I feel like putting out these Haymaker albums is a lot of work, especially working with some of these like crazy artists. Like, <laughs> You know, working with Nirvana couldn't have been easy knowing what was going on behind closed doors and working with Smashing Pumpkins with, you know, everybody kind of having an ego at first. And then, like, now the band is all about one particular person, you know, mm -hmm. Billy Corgan, right? Who to this day I still think looks like Caillou grew up on drugs, but like, that's another conversation, neither here nor there. But yeah, man, this was definitely it was it the biggest album of the 90s? I mean it's gotta be at least one or two, right? 
Like I would think, and I'm not even talking sales wise. I'm just talking overall music influence, right. music history. It's got to be the biggest album of the '90s. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely it has to be up there with it. It's like, it's like one or two, maybe. Like, yeah, like it just does so much. I think I think we got to talk about some of the songs specifically. We didn't do this last week. Um, oh, sure. Run down. Let's go. Let's do it. So the first song smells like Teen Spirit. This song that everybody knows. Like if if you like, this is the first Nirvana song. I'm pretty sure everybody's ever heard. Unless you were raised right, and then maybe like it was like you know later in life, but this is probably the first Nirvana song everybody hears. And music yeah. at the time completely different than like mm-hmm. anything else. And you got to give credit where credits due. Like this song changed the music industry completely. Yeah, and similar to like we talked last week where. Um, talking about like iconic songs on Appetite for Destruction. It's like, if you're going to show, if you're going to like show, if you had to show somebody a song be like, this is this band, like this is Guns N' Roses, you're going to show them like Sweet Child of Mine. And like, regardless of where you fall on like Nirvana, if you had to show someone a song like, this is Nirvana, you're gonna show them smells like teen spirit like that's just gonna be the go-to song yeah 100 percent. and like the song <laughs> like and i don't know if it's any like actual nirvana's fans favorite song like it might be but most nirvana fans i've talked to smells like teen spirit is like it's a good song but it's not like my favorite and oftentimes, usually their favorites are other hits that like didn't have as much commercial success. We're going to talk about a few of them coming up like here. That. Yeah, I feel like that's a thing too. Like with the type of people who are going to be like big Nirvana fans, I think it's definitely a turnoff that the song is as big as it was. Um, like that just seems very not like the intent of the band to have this have a billion plays on spotify um like that's not the song that they wanted to make that's not like why they made music like they so like i think that's part of the reason too it's like it's like i think a lot of people just know it's like yeah it's like their most well-known song but i don't think many people are gonna say it's their favorite I didn't realize the song like has that many views or listens. I mean, like, and you look at the rest of the album, there's only like what four songs that even hit a hundred, a hundred million. And this one's in the billions, like absolutely insane. Um, second track on this is in bloom. And I think this is famous almost solely because like one of the more famous Nirvana songs solely because of their music video. Mm. Like the music video associated with the song is very, very good. And they won uh, two or three video music video awards, I believe. But 
the 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 lyrics to the song are kind of disturbing. Like the first line, the first line of the song, which it's hard to understand. Like the first few times you listen to it. But the first line is sell the kids for food, weather changes moods. And like for many people listening to songs about selling your kids, <clears throat> probably is not uh, the most uh, comforting thing. Um, this was, the, to me, this was like, the, the, the lyrics made the song. I love the tune, but the lyrics and how they're delivered is what makes the song so good. Yeah, I think I really, um, when trying to like get ready for this episode, was trying to like look at the lyrics and re-stuff and see like oh that's what he was actually saying this whole time because i think a lot of times it can be hard to understand what kurt's saying yes 100%. Um, but yeah like the lyrics are fantastic and it just the image that gets evoked in my head of like the person that's being described in the chorus is like the people who are like super conservative that sing rage against the machine songs um so if i remember correctly this song is about like basically like calls out like abusive people specifically like republican like conservatives who like don't understand like if i remember correctly he was like very clear like the song was like anti like abuse and anti like redneck and stuff like that. And I, I must say just like in general, the lyrical genius of Kurt Cobain just like will show up time and time again on this. And it is ooh, unbelievable to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another thing that stands out to me with In Bloom um, is when I was started listening to Nirvana, there was like this, it was this weird time for me where I was like, I really want to be a really good guitarist. Like, I want to learn how to like play all these super great things. Like, I want to play like Aldi Miola or, um, you know, there's like kind of like speed metal people, like super technical I want to play all these like nice sounding notes and stuff. And I used to hate like the guitar solo, like the solo in In Bloom. And because I was like, this isn't, this isn't musical. Like this isn't a solo. This isn't technical or anything. And as I've kind of grown as a musician and just like matured a little bit, I really have come to appreciate just the way that the solo in the song feel like it just has like super heavy emotional thing to it. And it feels like you're being dragged like side to side a little. And it's super good. It's 
something also I felt with um, Tom Morello, actually, which mm-hmm. if we ever do Rage Against the Machine stuff, I'll talk more about that. We, we definitely will. Don't <laughs> worry about that. Um, let's go ahead and move on. Next song on here. Looks like you've ranked the song 10th on your list, and I'm curious as to why, uh, as calm as you are. So, yeah, I did, um, after listening to those songs a bunch, I did a ranking system, um, which I guess when we get near the end of the episode or during awards, I'll like go, I'll go through my top list top to bottom then. Um, yeah, I had this one, when I was going through and ranking the stuff, there are just a lot of songs that I really, really like. And so there are a lot of things fighting for the top, but outside of like the bottom two tracks, um, I, I really love all the songs on this album. Um, so yeah, so Come As You Are is in 10th in my rankings, but it's still That's, like it's a still song. a really good song kind of similar to appetite for destruction where it's like you know like even the worst song on that album would still it's still better than like you know maybe like the second or third best song on a lot of other albums out there like just because this one's 10th here like it's still like one of the most um popular nirvana songs um i just it feels it's it's better in the unplugged yeah for sure I definitely and that's <laughs> something that happens with w- one of the other songs on here at least one of the other songs but um i i think i know which one it is too and a, i and i'm gonna agree with you preemptively on this um yeah but yeah i i agree with you that like while i like this song i wouldn't call this my favorite at all um and i think that well, 10th is low for me. I'd probably put it in like fifth or sixth, maybe seventh. Mm-hmm. Probably seventh if I had to like really like sit down and rank them. I don't hate the ranking. Um, there's no like real lyrical thing to this other than at the end where he says, No, I don't have a gun over and over again. Yeah. Now, I am not. At all conspiracy theorist, other than one conspiracy theory that I wholeheartedly believe in. And I think that this song is alluding to Kurt's inevitable murder. Not death, murder. And him saying, no, I don't have a gun, is him saying, I'm not the one who shot me. Obviously, that is so much like he would have to have like literal psychic powers for this to be real. But to me, it feels like he's singing this song as if something could happen and it wasn't me, basically. Yeah, I definitely think the song like has gained a different interpretation kind of like that after um, Kurt's death. I'm not going to go on the record with any conspiracy theories <laughs> about that. Um, but like, it definitely took on a different meaning after like the way that Kurt's life ended. Um, and and if, like, 
if I think it's actually really just like supposed to be about like needing a friend. If I had to like if like reading it, I have a feeling that's really what it's about. Is like I need a friend and like I don't care if we're not friends anymore, like I'd need somebody to come for me type of thing. Like yeah. come help me. And I think that that's what this is really about. But I do find this like interesting, just like how much the lyrics like stick out and change based on what happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, let's move on to Breed. You have this ranked fourth. Um, this is a song as a kid I didn't like. One of the songs, and as an adult, I'm like, why didn't I like this? Like. Kid me was kind of a moron, you know. But like, it's really in your face, and it's so much faster, and like feels kind of chaotic compared to the rest of the album so far. Mm-hmm. Like, smells like Teen Spirit, kind of chaotic, but not like it was fixed. It was like fixed chaos. This really feels like it's a train that is going downhill at an uncontrollable speed. Yeah, I, I like it. It definitely gets more like I get like a kind of like pop-ish vibe from mm-hmm. it. Where it's like very just like fast pace, um like lots of repetitive lyrics, and it just sounds like Kurt's ex- you get like excited when you're listening to it. It's like that excitement kind of like bleeds through, I think. Um and you're just like like talking to this person. Like that's the feeling I get. And it's just like Real catchy. I like the um, overall. I think it's just like a nice song to listen to. I guess. Yeah. And the line like, uh, "We could plant a house. We could build a tree." He's just like, he's so excited to talk to this other person. He's just like, he's saying whatever. He's just saying whatever he wants to say. Like whatever you yep. want to hear. That's what I'm gonna say. This one, the next one on this. Um... I think this is probably my second favorite song on this album is Lithium, which is the namesake for the uh, Sirius XM station. So um, this one talks a lot more about like mental illness and like depression and schizophrenia and stuff like that. It's really, it's in a really dark it's in a really dark way like it's like spinning out of control going insane kind of way not like you're what you would expect to see or hear or read you know what i'm saying yeah like so this is my favorite track on this album uh, like i said like i have so many memories of turning off on to like the back road to get to my house and just blasting this as loud as my car stereo would possibly go and um, just driving. And it's definitely that um, contradiction going on of like, it's got really up, it's got like more upbeat in the music, but the stuff that he's singing about is very serious. <laughs> um, yes. 
it's definitely one of the songs like um was like you can call me al where it's like oh this is so poppy and like nice to listen to but the lyrics are kind of depressing that's the same kind of feeling i get from this and it's just like i can like sit here i just remember like screaming it like smiling singing along it's like oh these awful things happening Uh, (laughs) and now you're listening i'm happy like yeah yeah. listening back on it you're like what the hell was i doing (laughs) well it's like even like when i knew i was like i like i knew then the lyrics were messed up and i'm like ah no it's cool it's cool i'm just gonna keep singing it because it's fun (laughs) yeah and this again this is another one that's on the um unplugged album and it's good on there as well but i think this one really does like take the cake as far as like if if you were going to describe a perfect nirvana song to somebody this is probably the first one that comes to my mind of like messed up lyrics an overall like happier feeling than normal and like kind of quiet and mysterious at the beginning that and evolves into kind of a chaos more kind of a chaotic feeling let's go ahead and talk about the next track on this album track six this song is inherently fucked up i mean i'm just gonna be blatantly honest um looking at the course like the, the the lyrics notes for this it is disturbing and like at this point we've talked about what three songs that are like have pretty disturbing lyrics but this like i think set a new bar for like how disturbing kurt cobain and his lyric writing could be like uh the song we're talking about is polly it's track six on nevermind and it's talking about the kidnapping of a girl and like this man who kept a record of torturing her. Like Kurt interviewed this man and like wrote this song from his perspective. And it is like it's pretty messed up to say the least, right? Like that's, <laughs> I don't really know how else to describe this. I know you had this as number 11 on your songs. So go ahead and give me your thoughts and I'm gonna look, give you a counter point to this one. Okay, uh, so like I said, when I was talking about my like little origin story, um, for some reason, it seems I get albums in pairs. Like I got, Appetite for Destruction, the same time I got um, Chinese Democracy. And I got Nevermind as a CD the same time I got Insecticide. And if you're familiar with Insecticide, there is an alternate version of Polly on there. Um, And so I actually listened to Insecticide first because I was like, this album art looks really weird. I want to give this one a listen first. And that was definitely an interesting decision. I wonder, like, thinking back on it, if that, how that influenced kind of my perception of Nirvana as a group. Because, um, like, going into Nevermind, having heard, like, Hairspray Queen, 
in some of the other songs on Insecticide definitely, I guess, gives a different perspective on some of it. Sure. But Polly, I think, I agree. It's definitely like a super dark song. And I really do like the song. It just felt a little bit out of place on this album, I guess. Um, I do, thinking back though, and listening to just the way the album plays and progresses, I like how in Lithium, like you go from Come As You Are into Breed, which like that, like Come As You Are is like very mellow. And then you get into Breed, which is like, I think one of the most intense tracks on an album just from like pacing and excitement that builds up um going from there into lithium which brings it down a little bit making which makes sense given like the connotation of like lithium acting as like a treatment like a medication and then going into poly i like how just listening to it and going listening to songs back and forth um getting ready for this you have the intro to lithium is kind of has this like you know major like upbeat thing and i feel like polly's intro is the exact opposite where it's like minor and like a little bit more plotting along compared to lithium and i think it's a really really good song again i think my rating mostly just comes to i don't know if it fits like the full aesthetic of the rest of the album but like um, just taking the album by itself is kind of where I put it, but like overall, I think it's one of like the best Nirvana songs still. Um, and I do the, prefer the, this the, to the I do prefer this to the insecticide version. As, as yeah, I, this to me this was better as uh, as an unplugged version, but this is still my favorite song on this album. Um, I think it should have been right before Rape Me on In Utero. Mm-hmm. And like, I think like, and, and of course, looking back on it, like there's probably like so many different albums where like if you could like rearrange tracks, they would like all become perfect in some way. But like this was, to me, this is like just the peak of lyric genius from Kurt Cobain, but also just like it's crazy that this song was as popular as it was um, to me. Just like, especially as dark as it is, uh, it was like unnerving to say the least. Um, let's talk about this next one, though. This is this is this is an interesting one. Um, Territorial pissings. Yeah, I, I I hate this song. It's probably my least. This is my least favorite song on the album, and like tied with one other song that we'll, we can talk about later. But like, I I hate it. I I don't get any musical lyrical value out of it at all. Interesting. <laughs> I like. I think it definitely feels weird the way it gets introed. Um, just like taking this like super twisted distorted take on this like super nice peace loving song to start out um like if someone was telling me like on the side of the street to like 
smile on your brother and the voice that Kurt was singing in this, I would try to stay away from people. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not a thing. I just, um, yeah, this is one that grew on me a little bit when I was reviewing for this. Um, it's still not super high in my ratings, but it just grew on me this a little, little bit after getting past the, the intro screaming part. Um, just like, I love the drums in the song. Sure. Um, and this was, you know, Dave Grohl's first album with, um, with the band. So like Dave Grohl, one of my favorite musicians. Um, so like, I think he does super great <laughs> on this one. Um, and it's like the, I had the line, it was like, just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you. And then it's like, the, everything past that, it just sounds like him trying to escape from these people who are after him. And yeah, it's another one where it's like, I feel like the, like kind of like a little bit of like anxiety building up as the song's going. It's like, I need to, I need to get out of wherever I am right now. Um, and it's fun. It's fun when music makes you feel things. Yeah. I mean, it's literally just like, I literally hate the song, but let's move on. Drain you. Yeah. This is your second favorite song. And I think this is probably my third or fourth on if I had to go through and let rank these. And I must say like completely different, like groove, completely different sound than the song before this. Yeah. For the best, I think, like having too many songs, like territorial pissings, like back to back, to back <laughs> would uh, probably keep some people just like, I don't know. It, they would stop listening. They wouldn't listen yeah, to the album. For sure. um, um, yeah. <laughs> I think the song's like kind of interesting because like it's kind of about like a toxic relationship. But it's also like a mother-son kind of relationship. And it's kind of it, it's weird. Like it, it's a very weird song. But I, I I think this is one of my favorite Nirvana songs overall, just in general. Um and um I, I like the verses in this like are so weird. Like with eyes so dilated, I've become your pupil. You taught me everything without a poison apple. This water is so yellow. I'm a healthy student embedded and so grateful. Vacuum out the fluids. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Please explain. Yeah, I can't think of like yellow water signifying anything healthy. Um, hey, he said that the song, like they said that this is about a... Um, about like a, a relationship he was in, like a dorky relationship. And like, I don't know, man, if you're in this kind of relationship, it seems pretty toxic and you should get out of it. But Yeah, this is definitely somebody who is not like having a super stable romantic life writing a song like this, where it's just like, it seems like, yeah, like the whole thing, it's like, my duty to completely drain you like that's not how a relationship should be built it should be you know trying to like build each other up not be like 
I'm gonna like destroy you before you destroy me. This like weird yeah. back and forth, mutual assured destruction kind of thing. Like that's not healthy. Like, I don't think I don't know if you came to this podcast for relationship advice, but well, that's not healthy. If you're in a relationship, like that, get out. Yeah. If you like feel yourself listening to the song, be like, yeah, that's me. No, you don't want that. It shouldn't be. Stop. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, the next one's Lounge Act. And I don't remember. I don't remember this song much as a kid, but I remember it like when I did my grunge radio show a couple of years ago. And like, this was one I remember playing. And I was like, man, I did not remember this song at all. And like, it grew on me quite a bit. Um, again, as a continuation of the rest of this album, the lyrics are inherently kind of messed up. But like, I look at I look at this song, and it feels it feels different, right? And like, it's the song's about um, Toby Valley. Um, and it's talking about his like Kurt Cobain's relationship with her. Um, and so I don't know. It's an interesting song to write about a significant other, I guess. Um, the bass solo, and it's actually really nice. I, I enjoy that aspect of the song. Yeah, that uh, I was in a very similar position to you where I completely forgot about this song. Um, like I hadn't listened to the album in a while before we decided that this was going to be our second episode. I was just typing out the track list, and for most of the other songs, like oh yeah, yeah, I know what the, I know what that song is. And then I got to this one, and I was just like, I don't remember what this song sounds like at all. Yeah, and after going through and listening to it, I was like, oh, wow, this song's actually, like, really fun. And it's got, yeah, the bass in this song is excellent. Kind of like, um, like, the drums in Territorial Pissing for me. Like, that's, like, I think one of my favorite drum tracks. The bass in this song is, like, one of my favorite bass parts on the album. And it definitely just, like, grew on me. Um, Yeah, like, this one ended up a lot higher then I would have ranked it going into researching this episode. Yeah. I'm next to Stay Away. And again, this is another one that I didn't quite remember other than them saying Stay Away. <laughs> yeah. Over and over again. And like not really understanding the song or the lyrics. And it turns out that this song really doesn't have lyrics that are supposed to make sense so imagine that <laughs> uh, and i think that's true of most nirvana songs like most of them don't actually have a purpose they get assigned a purpose later um so that's a pretty common theme from what i gathered and this one definitely feels like this song makes no damn sense um and it still doesn't uh but it's not horrible it's not my least favorite song on the album so yeah, I, I like it definitely. Like, yeah, a lot of stuff on this album is definitely more like musically driven, I would say. And like, that's like the feeling I got just like listening to it. Just do like a quick listen. I was like, oh, yeah, this music just makes me 
feel like I want to like move or do whatever. Like the music is what gets me. And then like sometimes the lyrics are secondary. This is one of the songs where it's like, do, do the lyrics need to make sense all the time for a song? I don't, I don't think so. No, like it they don't. But yeah. So <laughs> I do like uh, give an inch, take a smile. That, that's, that's a fun line, I think. Um, but yeah, this was like definitely like a little bit lower on my rankings, but. Next one on a plane. And this one is, I love this song, man. This is, this is like another one of those, like, this is definitely Nirvana and like the harmonies with the like ooze in the background are really nice. I'm on a plane. I can't complain. Plane, obviously, P-L-A-I-N, which obviously a play on words. Again, I think it's a song that just really doesn't have like a ton of real meaning behind it. Like, I look at some of these lyrics, like I love myself better than you. I know it's wrong, so what should I do? And it's just like, Maybe we're talking about relationship struggles, but also just like then the rest of this is like, I don't know, man. Like, doesn't need to go that deep. Like, my mother died every night, so it's safe to say, or it's safe to say, don't quote me on that. Like, what? What are you? What are you saying? Um, and I like I think that's kind of how I feel about the song. It's like overall it doesn't make a ton of sense, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, this um. Yeah, it's definitely agree there. It does, I think this does have my favorite lyric in on the album though, which is the finest day that I've ever had was when I learned to cry on command. Mm. That is just that's like a yeah. really heavy line <laughs> to spin yeah, out. Being an adult now and listening to that, it's just like, ooh, shit. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. Um, um and who knows maybe the song was actually just like super deep and no one actually knew the meaning because like when you google the meaning of the song there really like doesn't appear to be a consensus like meaning like who knows this could, could be like the deepest song like ever like ever made and no one would ever really know i did see uh, something looking over stuff um where the whole last line like had one more special message to go and then i'm done and i can go home um I guess the theory on that was like, this was the last song that Kurt wrote, like the lyrics for. So it was like, he's literally saying like, yeah, this is the last song I have to write and I can go home. That's <laughs> funny, man. If that was true, that'd be hilarious. That would be the equivalent of the, uh, like when you were in high school and you had to write those persuasive essays and you needed a conclusion paragraph. So you just rewrote the introduction like change nope. this around a little bit and be like this is why i said this that's the same kind of vibe that i get yep. from oh yeah the next one's really dark this song brutal uh something in the way um allegedly is about like being like blackballed by society because you have AIDS or HIV. And 
there's a specific bridge in Seattle that the underneath the bridge tarp has sprung a leak is specifically talking about. And just like this song uh, also does not belong on this album. I, I think this song again on in utero or only in their unplugged album, which is where it is like an actual masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes a lot more sense but like that still doesn't change the fact that like I have very deep connections to this I love this song and how it's a pretty good way to conclude an album of course there's one more song that we have to talk about but this is like a really good like conclusion to the album yeah I yeah, this one like ranked low for me just for the reason that I felt like it didn't fit. Yeah, it just it, with it, the rest it, of to it. me to me it belongs on in utero or it belongs only in their unplugged album, like because yeah. like it this or it belongs as like an extra track. You know, how musicians will like not like put unlabeled tracks on albums. That's what this could have been to me. Um, mm-hmm. like. Because it is a really deep and, again, just horrible song. Like, lyrically, like, this, if somebody is living this life, it is horrible. And it just didn't belong on this album <laughs> in the long run. Like, if, yeah. um, and then the last song, Endless and Nameless, I hate this song. Um, if there, well, we're going to talk about this because we have awards coming up. Worst song on the album for me. So, um, yeah, like it's definitely a. It's like an amalgamation of like everything from Bleach and this summarized in six and a half minutes. Yeah, it's definitely just so very like gives you whiplash in the sense of like. I can't imagine because it was apparently like on the original album, it's like there was a 10 minute gap between the end of something in the way and the start of this. So if you just kept the album playing, like you just finished something in the way, maybe it put you to sleep because it is kind of dragging. And then you wake up to this, 100%. (laughs) This comes on, it just wakes you up. You think there's like a car crash going on outside. Yeah. Um, Like It's a very jarring experience to have. 100%. Um, Yeah, I agree. It definitely just, like this is another one that doesn't fit on this album at all. <laughs> I, I don't think it fits on any album. Like this song could like not exist, and I wouldn't bat an eye. But like, <laughs> for sure, like, yeah, and, and like it's it's just like at the end of um, "Around the Fur" by Deftones. There's a song. The song MX is 37 minutes. It's because they let the they left the recorder on. And you can hear like Chino bong ripping in the background for about 30 minutes. And then they play like a two minute outro. (laughs) And like, I remember taking a nap and like falling asleep that song and then like waking up to the like little stuff at the end. So yeah, this song could have not been on here. And I, and again, if I think if something in the way was the actual ending of the album, it'd be one thing, but it, because there's another track after it, it makes it even weirder to me. 
Yeah. Like if you think- just end on something in the way, I think it changes its ranking overall on the album and it like could actually fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, I because think it it's been- not. <laughs> yeah, I think it could have been a lead in to in utero at that point. Yeah. Like it would have been like a better, you could have like softened the transition a little bit. But yeah, going from having this come up after it hurts. Yeah, in the way something in the way. Yeah, I agree. So we got uh, a few awards here. Let's go through these. Let's grade the album and let's get to bed because I have to be at work in eight hours. So Fair. All right, first things first, man. What is the best song on this album? Okay, my best song, my ranking, number one was Lithium. Uh, just it stands out to me just for um, the lyrics and like I said earlier the juxtaposition of the upbeat music with the like super unsettling lyrics for me like and there's a lot of sentimental value there but that's that's my best uh, my best song is Polly again I just Cobain shows off his lyrical geniusness with that song. Um, I I really I think that song is just like so undervalued and underplayed. But we're gonna talk about that in a second. What's the worst song on this? I think we both agreed, right? Like endless, nameless. Like, yeah, I feel it feels odd to me just a little bit handing out this one since it is like a, a hidden track kind of, but. It's just okay. If we're if we're if we're gonna leave this one off, I have to give it to like if we if we just delete endless nameless and I have to go to territorial physics. Like I think for me, <laughs> like I would probably agree that's like the worst song. Um, just like ex- like removing my personal biases. Like for me, there's a difference between something being your least favorite and like actually being worst. But yeah, I would say that at that point, yeah, like Territorial Pissings would probably be the worst song on the album if you weren't including. It's just like, it doesn't... And again, I'm not bashing the musicianship on it because I think, again, it was one of the ones that highlighted everybody well. Mm -hmm. But it's just, I hate hate everything about it. It just sucks, like, (laughs) overall. And like, there are songs that are like that. Like, Like last week when we talked about you know what we did with Guns and Roses, like, yeah, like, uh, the song kind of sucks, but like, it definitely highlights everybody in the band. So, like, yeah, the that's why it's on there. Like, yeah, the thing to me too with it is like, unlike a lot of the other songs, like another trend with this album, is the songs have really good hooks, like iconic, iconic openings, like "Smells Like Teen Spirit," uh, "Come As You Are." Like in bloom, all these songs have like very strong hooks that lead you into wanting to listen to the rest of the track. And if you just like play, like if I just heard Territorial Pissings on a radio for the first time and this person just screaming, yeah, random I words would, at me, oh, I would turn, I would change, so it. Mad. I would change, so I would mad. turn it off. Um, like that's, I think, the biggest thing for me is just like missing that super strong hook. Yeah. Okay. Overplayed. Um, I think there's only one answer, right? Like, I think you can make an argument for a second. Um, I, I tell you what, I, I I'll give it. I'll give you two options, and and I think it's close between the two. I would give it a tie. Either "Come as You Are" or "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah, those are the two for me. 
Um, and I want to give it to Kem as you are because I hear that more often on the radio. Because I and I and I mean I am still one of the weirdos who listens to the radio in the car. Um, but like 93.9 X up in Indy plays Come As You Are more than they play Spells Like Teen Spirit. So like, yeah, I think it's, but I mean, if you would ask me this in 92 when, you know, this album's at its peak, like the answer is a hundred percent. Spells Like Teen Spirit, it's not even close. Like that song was played every 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I kind of, I'm basically, I'm with you. I think, um, like Come As You Are for me, just relative to the, like, I guess, I don't know, provenance of the song relative to the amount it gets played, I think it's the one that's there's like the biggest delta, like the biggest gap between me, between like personal take and like a pre- enjoyment of the song and the amount it's been played. Okay, eh, underappreciated. I've got two nominees. Okay. Uh, the nominees are Drain You and Lounge Act. And again, Lounge Act was literally because I forgot it was on this album. Like, just. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I have to do. Mine was Lounge Act going into this, and it's going to remain Lounge Act. Just because I don't think I've ever heard that one on the radio. And I know I've heard Drain You. I've heard Drain You like once or twice. And I know I played it once or twice when I was in college, like, you know, my old school. And like, I've never heard Loud Jack on the radio, and I think it is very underappreciated, even, you know, compared. And I guess Breed can also be on there, but again, I've heard Breed on the radio, so yeah, I'm going to go with Loud Jack. It just, yeah. it's, it, it is like the forgotten song off this album, which is sad. Um, yeah, I think it's I, part of that might have to do something just with the name. Like, if you're looking for, like, I want to play something that's, like, super, like, grunge or, like, have that punk vibe, I'm not going to look at a song named Lounge Act if I've never heard it before and be like, that sounds like a song I want to listen to when you have Drain You or Breed. Like, those ones just have, like, like those sound, those read, like, songs you want to listen to. And Lounge Act, I don't think, has that same quality, which hurt it. All right. This is my favorite part of the episode. Grade the album. It's tough. Like, I'm not changing my grade. I'm going to stay steadfast where I have it. And, like, when I was doing this, I was like, man, this is probably, like, another A-plus album. And then I listened to it for the third time, and I'm just like, God damn it. No, it's not. It's not an A-plus. Like, there's if you cut two songs off of this, I would give it an A plus in a heartbeat. But because I can't and I have to factor those in, I B plus A minus. Okay. Yeah, I um going into it, I was like thinking this is gonna be another A plus for me. Um yeah, no, generally obviously generally I was blinded by you know some sentimental stuff, but after giving it listens and a lot of listens i probably put in about 10 or 20 10 to 20 listens of this album in the past week just wanting to absorb it as much as possible um i developed an appreciation for some of the tracks that i didn't listen to as much in the past but still overall i think the album fell a little bit for me um like 
there are, there are some really good songs on here. A lot of songs I like, but just being honest, I can't say that they're necessarily the same level of some of the greatest albums of all time. There are some tracks on here, which I definitely have an issue with, uh, namely Endless Nameless. <laughs> but um, some of the other tracks just don't feel like they necessarily fit in a cohesive way with the album and it hurts it excuse me it hurts it in that regard so my grade is going to be an a i think that even with kind of the downsides of it it's still a really good album um there's a lot of really good songs on it um and the influence that this album had, I think has to play some sort of factor into it. I don't think it elevates it to an A+, but I do think for me, I wouldn't want to put it at less than an A just based on those factors. I can agree with that. I think it's tough. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go higher than an A minus for this one. I just, there's two songs on here that are just like F to F minuses for me. I'm not, not raising the grade on this. Um, this is going to conclude this week, talking all about Neverminds. And next week, we're going to change it up a lot. Um, Yanni and I both are. Uh, you know, big jazz fans um, but not the basketball <laughs> team just like the music and this next one has been requested so let's do it um, and the next one we're going to do is kind of blue Miles Davis uh, released in 1959 and this is going to be an absolute blast because I haven't listened to this album in a long time, and I definitely should be like listening to this more frequently than I do. So, uh, but that's going to conclude tonight. Uh, we've been on this for about an hour, fifteen minutes or so. Yeah. And my roommate is uh, yeah, gaming in the so background. So, um, thanks for checking us out, man. This has been a lot of fun, and I'm excited to do Kind of Blue next week. Awesome. Um, and if anybody has any album recommendations, send them to me or Yanni. Let's make some let's make some magic here. Um, and be on the lookout. We might have some uh, sponsorship yeah, stuff coming up way, soon. <laughs> but, Absolutely, yeah. Um, and whenever, wherever you're listening to this, we thank you. I know my dad will be listening to this oh, on his way oh, to work oh. tomorrow, so that'll be exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed it, make sure you give a review, thumbs up, share it out to people. You can also find us on Twitter now at spinit underscore pod. Uh, that's our Twitter account. You can tag us there with an album you want us to play. Um, we post our episodes there, posting some discussions over there as well. So, yeah, just come get involved. Just come chat with us. You know, we started a podcast because we love music. We want to talk about it. So if you want to join in on that conversation, the light blower, yeah, yeah. you should definitely come in and uh, join us on this. This is uh, definitely a project of love and we wouldn't go without uh, 
you know our own love for music and we know everybody else out there too has to yeah. share some similar feelings or even oh, yeah. listening to us talk about it for an hour and a half so, um, as always it is a pleasure delivering this content for you guys so that wraps up a really exciting conversation and next week we're going kind of blue with miles davis featuring songs like all blues And number 37 on the top 500 greatest albums by the Rolling Stone. Yanni still has a rant. He has to go on about that at some point. But this one, no lyrics to analyze. Just pure emotion. So excited for this one. Thanks for listening. Please check out our Twitter account. Going to be doing some giveaways once we are uh, finish our sponsorship uh, contracts. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out if you to either of us if you have any questions. Uh, me, Z Barnett NBA on Twitter uh, or on Facebook for friends uh, or at AKA underscore Yanni on Twitter for uh, Yanni here. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Peace.